The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You can not only learn from your mistakes, you can celebrate them. They define who you are and serve as a learning tool to become your most beautiful self ever. Welcome to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting, with your host, Jim Stacy. Jim is the author of 11 books and is here to help you experience the power of the divine deep within yourself. It's inside you. You just have to know where and how to look for it. Now, here is Jim Stacy. And thank you again for joining me for another show about Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. I'm really having a great deal of fun doing this series of shows, mostly because I've experienced being set free from all of the old victim energy from religion. And I'm trying to share that with you in every way I possibly can. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about finding or defining your true self. And we looked at several issues there about who has decided who you are. Hopefully it's you, not somebody else. And then we talked about other issues concerning the Aramaic, the Aramaic language of Yeshua, the the power of a language that can heal. Just the very sound of the language can heal. And as I shared with you then, I've spent several years singing and dancing with guitars and drums, with the Aramaic uh, people, the the Sufi mystics actually, a group that are following Yeshua in the Aramaic traditions. There is nothing quite so powerful as hearing sound that heals. And we know the difference. Some sound agitates us, some sound frustrates us perhaps, but there always is that soothing element of music. And with the Aramaic, not just the, the music and singing it and dancing with it, but just hearing the tones are healing in itself. It's hard to describe that, but I have experienced that, and I want to share all I can with you about how that happens. The word for the divine in Aramaic, other than the first uh, word of the Lord's Prayer, which is avun, and avun is not father, but it's O birthing one, mother and father of all life everywhere. The other word is Allah. And I remember so often singing with the Sufis, Allah, 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 Elohim, Elat, and singing and dancing until we were almost intoxicated by the music itself. And that really is the experience that people in the Aramaic traditions have, uh, have experienced. They sing and they sang. They sang and danced until the the music and the power of healing overtook them, and they were celebrating. It's that generation of sound, the healing sounds that we must get in touch with. The ancient uh, uh, gurus and and other spiritual teachers from India and and other places have always taught the power of the Aum, A-U-M, the Aum, Aum. And using that sound in meditation, sound is vitally important for all of us. And so, through a heavenly sound, shall we call it, we can open ourselves up deep inside and allow our understanding to be changed. Allow who we are to be changed. It's been called that note from heaven. And singing those songs are vastly important. One of these days, before too long, uh, I'll be making a move out west, and I'll be doing uh, a lot of Aramaic weekends at the ranch not far from Tucson. And on that ranch, a delightful setting up in the higher elevations overlooking the San Pedro Valley, we will be singing and dancing in the Aramaic, and we will be celebrating and learning all the power and the transforming energies of the Aramaic language. 
We need to have our voices freed up. There's nothing worse than not being able to speak our truth. But the Aramaic, if it does anything at all, it frees our voice to be and to express our truth. How many times have you been stymied and you've not been able to speak your truth, either because you're afraid to or because somebody wouldn't allow that? My friends, we are the divine in human form. Our truth is vitally important for us to speak. At the same time, we keep our hearts and minds open, that, uh, that openness that allows our tr- understanding of truth to grow and to be added to or subtracted from as we keep learning and growing. I don't know near what I hope to know in a year or two or 10 years from now or 20 or whatever. I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. And we all can do this. And it is, there's nothing like, like singing and, and understanding the, the beauty and the depth of the spiritual language of the Aramaic to help us find a deep, deep peace. The divine voice within, our intuition, the sounds that come out of the Aramaic uh, lead themselves to an expanded consciousness, a sound that balances the body's energy, a sound that prepares us for the conscious work in sharing our lives together, in meditation and in healing, the sound that enables us to sing from our hearts and allowing our intuition to be developed. And I mentioned on the le- uh, two weeks ago on the show that the intuition is that silent voice of the divine inside. Our challenge is to learn to listen to it. Just like we listen to the ego so often, it doesn't speak aloud either, but we listen to it. We can learn to listen to the divine. We can hear that, and we can test it out. Oh, so many times I thought, oh, hmm, that must be true, and I didn't quite hear it right. So I had to go back and say, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to refine my hearing. And I worked on that, and that's the, that's the way it is. No one can say, God told me. <laughs> so many people do that today, and I wonder, what kind of a crazy God is that? And it's just that. It's craziness. It's the ego speaking instead of the intuitive voice of the divine within. So the Aramaic can be spoken and understood only through the heart, not through the head. The biggest mistake anyone can make is to read the Aramaic and jot it down or make some some comments. Oh, I understand it because I see it in black and white. No, no, you don't. We will never understand it until we apply it until we practice it. That's how, as I've mentioned to you before, uh, I forget which show it was, maybe the very first one about who am I, but it was my experience after decades of abuse and pain and suffering that came out of fundamentalist Christianity, came at me, hurt me, almost destroyed me, and I had to learn that those voices were not real. It took the sound of the Aramaic language as I learned it and applied it deep within. It was the sound that began to bring healing to me. And today I've overcome the vast amount of that. Some days I think I've overcome it all, and once in a while something sneaks in. So, whoops, there's a bit more to work on here. <laughs> and isn't that the way it is for all of us? There's always more to work on. But we need to look at that as a beautiful challenge not a threat, as a positive, not a negative. So, remember, the Aramaic can only be understood when we apply it. And a good example of that, I think, is when Yeshua said to love your neighbor as you love your own self. To commit ourselves to being the energy of love changes us. All we have to do is step into it and say, okay, I will be love. I will be the the energy of love for that person. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not at all. But to embody love helps us understand what love truly is. It's the same with every other energy. To embody understanding, we need to practice understanding. It's just the way that that it is, rather than the English language wherein 
people, compartmentalize it, break it all up, divide it. As I mentioned again a couple of weeks ago, the, like the jigsaw puzzle, laying on the table, we can understand it only as we see the whole. We can understand ourselves only as we see the whole. So there is that other side. There's the dark side. And there's the law of light. The Nemosa Denora is the Aramaic phrase for living in the light. And there's the dark side. Most of us remember from Star Wars and that little character called Yoda, where he said, fear of losing is the path to the dark side. And my friends, it is so true. Every time we step into or allow the fear of losing to come into our consciousness, what's the easiest thing to happen? We step into the ego's answer for that, to how the ego wants to handle it. And we put somebody else down, or we blame them, or we project our own stuff onto them, instead of owning and embodying the truth, that there's nothing wrong with us. Nothing wrong. Yeah, we made mistakes, so we celebrate them when we see the lessons they've brought to our lives. And that's the beauty of the Aramaic. We can always celebrate everything and become more and more. We don't have to worry about fearing anything because love always overcomes fear. Love always drives fear away. So when we feel feel the fear of losing, we can stop, sit down, and say, how can I replace this fear with love? It'll happen every time. It will go. You will be new. We will walk on the light side. And so there's the law of light and the dark side, the higher self and the ego that all of us have to deal with every single day, every moment of every day. And the more we learn to hear the voice of love inside of us, the more powerful we will live, the more free we will live. And then our heart begins to sing its own song. And the tones and the rhythm and the whole... uh, beauty of hearing the word Shem, or Allah, or Nafsha. And I'll be talking about more about all those words in the weeks to come. But we find, deep inside ourselves, who we really are. When we commit ourselves to being unconditional love, we become love and mercy for other people. That's why Yeshua said it was the greatest commandment. And yet, as we'll see later in the show, What caused the deterrence, the separation from this greatest commandment? What caused people to walk away from love and loving neighbors and enemies and ourselves and the divine? What caused that aberration? We'll check that out a little bit later. Iyanana Rachma. I am choosing now in this moment to be unconditional love. You want to find your true self? You want to define your true self? Step into who you truly are. You, my friends, are love. Just because it's been hidden or pushed away or not seen in its fullness doesn't mean that it can't be or it won't be. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am unconditional love, and I choose to live that, and I choose to be that for other people. No matter how I'm treated, I'm going to return kindness. I'm going to return a different energy. And that's what Yeshua meant when he said, turn the other cheek. He never meant literally somebody hits you in the face, turn the other cheek, and say, hit this side too. (laughs) No way. That's not what he meant. He said, when somebody comes at you with anger, return kindness. Return understanding. I've done that, and I have to say it was powerfully transforming for me. I don't know what it did for the other guy, but I don't really care. I had to do it myself, and I know that I did, and I know that I settled the issue deep within me. And that's what it's all about, settling all that is deep inside and walking in love. Time for a break right now. I'll see you on the other side of two or three minutes.
Jim Stacy's first book, Jesus Was Not a Christian, is available on Amazon.com. Discover what the church has been hiding for over 1,700 years. Find out why people carry the wounds of guilt and shame instead of the power of loving and being loved. Discover that you are part of the divine. Learn about the kingdom of heaven within you and find out why history has been twisted by those who slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent people. See why the real Jesus never said the words hell or sin. Jesus Was Not a Christian, available right now on Amazon.com. Jim Stacy is the author of 11 books, including his first title, Jesus Was Not a Christian, Healing the Shame and Fear from Man-Made Theology. That book is available on Amazon. The other 10 books, which are titled A Healing Spiritual Journey, are available as downloads on thedivineiswithinus.com. When you visit that site, you may also download his CDs and articles, and you can also find out more about where Jim will be speaking, spiritual retreats, and vision quests. Visit www.thedivineiswithinus.com today. Are listening to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to the divine is within us at gmail.com. Again, that's the divine is within us at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Here again is Jim Stacy. So let's continue for a little bit looking at the power of the Aramaic. Oh my, there are so many ancient traditions. Uh, Someone named Philo is someone you might have heard of, Philo's writings from many centuries ago. But he wrote first and foremost in an allegorical and a metaphorical way. The mythological tradition moves us deep inside. It gets us out of our head. Instead of thinking, oh, I got that, I know that truth, we begin to say, hmm, I wonder what that means. And then we take it deep inside and we begin to work with it and look at it from a different perspective. We need to be able to get out of our heads and into our hearts. And someone said, I don't know who it was, but said that the longest journey the human can ever take is the journey between their head down to their heart. It's important to be awake. It's important to be conscious. And if there's anything that the Aramaic language can do, it is that. It will help us to overcome separation. It'll help us to overcome isolation. It'll help us to overcome conflict. The Aramaic language is a healing language. Just a little bit about the history of the language, for you may not know this, but the Aramaic is is the oldest language on the planet. There isn't anything older. In fact, no one knows for sure where the Aramaic language came from. There's different traditions and theories, but no one knows. Did it come from an otherworldly source? Some think that. We don't know for sure how it got here, but we know that it was the secondary language of the Persian Empire. It was spoken all across that part of the world, from the borders of China all the way back west to Alexandria, Egypt. It was the language of the people. Later, that was replaced Uh, by the Roman Empire, it came in, and of course the Roman Empire, more than anything else, had to destroy a feminine language because the Roman Empire was all masculine. So it had to destroy it. It had to put it down, and it did its best. So it took all the ancient texts, those from the Aramaic, translated them, retranslated them, put them into Greek or Latin, and then later into English, and then they burned everything that they had used to get those, that information. What a shame. But you know, today, my friends, we know what many of those texts were. I think you probably heard me mention on the show before what they found in the cave in Egypt in 1945. Not the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948, but the Nag Hammadi Library in 1945, three years earlier. And in that trove of of texts and scrolls and the writings that they found, they found some of the original words of Yeshua, the Coptic and Syriac and Aramaic translations and all of that. It was a beautiful thing to to have. And I have that in my library today. It's called the Nag, N-A-G, Hamadi, H-A-M-M-A-D-I, Library. 
And it's a collection, now translated into English, of all of those texts that the Roman Catholic Church burned. And so I say, what is religion doing? Why did it choose to hide the truth? Why did it have to burn it and throw it away? But we know for sure that the Aramaic was a threat to men who needed to be in control. The Aramaic was a threat to the man who's filled with fear and needs to try to project that onto other people and make them afraid. So, when Yeshua spoke, he spoke Aramaic. The groups that followed him spoke Aramaic. The Gnostics of that early, those early days were those who not just believed in their heads, but they knew. They knew the truth deep in their hearts. And that's why Gnostic or Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is the word to know, knowing deeply inside. And those who knew, they knew that they knew. And those that didn't were called the Agnostics. It's a mispronunciation to say agnostic because the G is silent. So it's like instead of moral and amoral or theist and atheist, it's Gnostic and agnostic. So if you don't know, then what do you do? You either keep searching or you pretend that something is not real. Anyway, the Aramaic beginnings of Yeshua and the Nazorians and the Ebionites and the Hebrews and the Assyrian church in Assyria and so many more were early groups that followed the best they could the things that Yeshua taught. And those people were not warlike. They were not angry at each other. They were not defensive and competitive, as we're going to see in a few minutes. They were the peoples who lived together in harmony, supporting each other, loving each other, and all of those powerful energies that make a society work together for everyone's good. So anyway, Allah, remember that word, you'll hear it again later, and know this, that Allah means all is one. Allah, the heavenly mother, father, the heavenly parent, the heavenly source of our lives, Unity, Allah, all those words are the same. And so, you and I can know that we are part of the, that energy of Allah, the energy of being one with, the energy of being one with each other. And in two weeks from today, I'm going to do a show then called Finding the Me in the We. I'll tell you more about that later. But there's it's very important to know who we are. It's very important to define that and to know know that. But it's also true that we will never fully know who me is until I see that and define that in connection with you and all others. For it's in the we that our most beautiful selves will be expressed. Well, there's so much I'd like to share with you. And sometimes I don't know which direction to go next. But I want to talk about another word for a few minutes, and it's called the nafsha, N-A-P-H-S-H-A. It's very similar to the shem, S-H-M, but it's more of a personalized embodiment of that. Because the word shem is S-H-M, there's no vowels in it, and it's just pronounced as best like S-H-M, shem. And it is a, such a powerful word. I don't have time to get into all that one today. But the Shem is what we find in the Malkuta de Shemaya, the kingdom or queendom of heaven is within you. And what it says very, very literally is the divine energy is within you. You're part of it. And it's time that we explore that, step into it, look at it, understand who we are in relation to that, and to live to the fullest, the most beautiful life we can ever have. To find our most beautiful self is to find the Shem deep inside of us. So, the word nafsha is the one that Yeshua used when he said, and it's a silly uh, phrase that is found in the scriptures, but called, the lamp of the body is the eye. And I thought when I first saw that years ago, what in the world does that mean? It makes no sense at all. I've never ever heard anyone teach it 
or about her, speak about her. It's just sort of left alone, laying there on the table. The lamp of the body is the eye. And as I studied that in Aramaic, I found such a absolutely beautiful truth. For what Yeshua was saying was, the lamp, the light that is inside of you, is the, the lamp is you. The light inside is you. And what is that lamp? What is that light? For the nafsha is, it's the complete person. It's the whole self. It's the, every part of the human being is the nafsha, and it's the one Aramaic word that cannot be actually uh, fully translated. But it's who we truly are. And when he said, the lamp of the body is the eye, that the light of the human being, the light deep inside of you, is the divine itself. The light is always the divine. The light is always divinity. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, Yeshua said that. Sometimes I keep saying one or the other, but you know who I mean. And he also said, you are the light of the world. And now it makes sense. The divine within us is our essence. That's what it means. Oh, my friends, I've begun to find that. I've been working with it for years. But it won't take you nearly as long as it took me, I'm sure. (laughs) I had so many barriers to overcome. But I want you to know, over and over again, I'm going to be challenging you with that truth, that the divine energy itself is who you are. You can find it and know it in deeper and deeper ways. We all can. And the Malkuta, the Shemaya, the queendom of heaven is within you. Shem is hidden right there in that word. And again, we can never have a kingdom without the presence of a king. We can never have a queendom without the presence of a queen. And so that's why Yeshua said that that kingdom or queendom of heaven is within you. The divine energy is within you. Now, there's something else about that word within you, because it also equally means, and it's just as powerfully means, among you. You can't really separate the two. It's really said, the kingdom queen of heaven is within and among you. How does that to be? Well, if I'm in a room of 10 people, and I say, okay, I know the kingdom of heaven is within me. I also know it's in him and her and her and him. And look around the room knowing that the kingdom of the queendom of heaven is within every single person. Therefore, it's within each one, and because of that, it's among us, because of the presence within each one. That's why Yeshua said, or two or three of you, with the kingdom queendom of heaven within you, are gathered together in the energies that I have embodied, the energies of healing and loving and nurturing, the energies of compassion, the energy of including everyone at the table. When we step into those energies, we are an expression of the divine. We are that, and we can be that more and more. So, what does it mean that the divine is within us? It means presence. And we're here to find that through meditation, through reading and studying, and whatever your path is. Follow your path, and if you choose to find it, you will. I can't tell you what your path is going to be, and I will never try. You can find your path. You know the goal. We all know the goal, and we can be that, and we can do that. We can become all that we are, and we can become that most beautiful self ever. So the queendom, kingdom of heaven is within us and among us. It's not only right here, but it's over there. It is a reality. It's an energetic reality that we can embody. But we have to choose it first and know that we are far more than we have yet become. We're far more than we have yet known. Your most beautiful self awaits your discovery of you. Time for another break. I'll be right back.
Jim Stacy's first book, Jesus Was Not a Christian, is available on Amazon.com. Discover what the church has been hiding for over 1,700 years. Find out why people carry the wounds of guilt and shame instead of the power of loving and being loved. Discover that you are part of the divine. Learn about the kingdom of heaven within you and find out why history has been twisted by those who slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent people. See why the real Jesus never said the words hell or sin. Jesus Was Not a Christian, available right now on Amazon.com. Jim Stacy is the author of 11 books, including his first title, Jesus Was Not a Christian, Healing the Shame and Fear from Man-Made Theology. That book is available on Amazon. The other 10 books, which are titled A Healing Spiritual Journey, are available as downloads on thedivineiswithinus.com. When you visit that site, you may also download his CDs and articles, and you can also find out more about where Jim will be speaking, spiritual retreats, and vision quests. Visit www.thedivineiswithinus.com today. You are listening to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to thedivineiswithinus at gmail.com. Again, that's thedivineiswithinus at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Here again is Jim Stacy. So let's move back to talking about our own society for a few minutes. We talked about that at the beginning of the show two weeks ago. And we talked about it, the Aramaic as well. I've added more concerning the Aramaic today. And now let's go back to looking at a contrast. The difference between the Aramaic as it would be lived, the energies of living that together, and what we have experienced in this society that we call America, the USA. Well, the United States of America is not so united at all. We've been pretending. People fill stadiums for sports events and sing, you know, uh, about America and and, and all the, these things that we're united and being together, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sorry, but we're not. Two people standing side by side and then fight each other over which team's going to win. Uh, no, come on. What does it mean? What does it mean to be together? We can. S- Say it, we can sing about it, we can talk about it, but until we live it, it isn't going to happen. One of the biggest struggles in our society here in the so-called United States is the competition that we experience. If you haven't experienced competition lately, you haven't been out driving or you haven't been at the store trying to buy something or whatever experiences of life you might be, Uh, experiencing today everywhere we go there's competition everywhere we go whether it's competing for space on the road or for the next job down the street or or for the last uh, special sale item on the shelf our, our society has not been the United States but it's been the competitive states of America what does it mean to get ahead what does that mean to you Who are you going to leave behind so you can get ahead? What are you going to leave behind so that you can get ahead? What does it mean to get ahead? Does it mean more money? Does it mean a bigger house? A better car? Oh, a car with a certain symbol on it that just means you are just a little bit above everybody else because the symbol on your car stands for something that you would like to be known as? Is that what it is? What does it mean to leave something behind? What does it mean to just get more? More of what defines how you are getting ahead or trying to? It's survival of what? The fittest or the weakest? What is the case? What is the issue here? Is it the survival of the most selfish? Is it the survival of the most greedy? Boy, it sure would seem so today. There are certain billionaires around the country that using their money to try to influence and control elections and everything else. We see that every day. So is the most, are the most greedy ones to be 
just honored as the most powerful because they have money? No, no way. I would look any billionaire right in the eyes and say, tell me who you are, apart from your money, apart from your fame or your control or whatever it is you think is important. Tell me who you are. Most of them would not have an answer. But we've been taught by an extreme capitalism and commercialism to wipe out the competition. Oh, you see it everywhere. Get ahead of the competition. Leave somebody behind. And just how is that done, I wonder? A more expensive commercial? Better actors in your commercial? Bigger lies to make your sales higher, even though your product may not be as good? Is it grabbing for all the gusto you can get? Or is it just saying, well, this is business. Oh, how much dishonesty, how much cheating and lying and hurting others has, have been, has been hidden in that phrase, well, this is business. Oh, really? Sometimes business is just a word to cover over everything that's bad about this country. Everything that speaks of competition, hurting somebody else, putting them down, denying them health care, you know, taking food stamps away, uh, car- uh, charging college kids exasperating uh, interest rates so they pay off and pay off and pay off and only to find out they still owe as much or more than they did five years ago? No, that's greed. Greed has caused all of that. Or the guy we've seen recently uh, on the uh, in the news and other places, uh, the one who was part of a hedge fund order that took the drugs that our HIV friends, infected friends needed, and there was you know just a, a few cents to a dollar or so a pill could have been available for that. And no, he manipulated everything to where it cost thousands of dollars for each pill. That's the kind of person that we do not need. That's the kind of person, however, that has been the example held up by so many at the upper echelons. Look at the success I've had because I've gouged people and made more money. Well, so much for that. But commercialism is nothing but, I want you to fail so I can succeed. And our country has been living on on that principle for, for so long. I don't care what happens to you. If you're the competition, then you are the enemy. How often have you felt that one? There's nothing quite like one, uh, like one's addiction to the things in this temporary world and all that they experience in this temporary reality that makes people angry and competitive and hateful and greedy. It's being addicted to physical things that really sets us up for all kinds of reactions and hurting others, looking out for number one instead of doing it together. But when? When will we leave the crazy notions of this temporary society behind? When will we define ourselves above and beyond what the United States capitalism has looked like? When will we stop grabbing for things? And when will we value each other more than we value the things that are passing away. Is that car with that certain symbol on it worth more than people down the road? No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, how easy it is to pretend. And it is just that. It's pretense. How many cars have to rust and fall apart? Oh, I know. They just get a new one every year, and then they never have to have a rusting car. Well, wonderful. How long is that going to last? How many pairs of pants have to get filled with holes before we realize that we can't keep them? We've got to buy a new new pair of pants or a new shirt. How many do we have to have wear out right in front of us before we will awaken that everything is passing away? Everything. Everything is rusting or rotting or deteriorating. It's just that way. The first and second laws of thermodynamics have been telling us that for centuries. Well, at least a few years. So what do we do about that? But with the Industrial Revolution in this country came the notion that most 
of the most powerful people will have the most money. And with that came greed, pollution of the planet, loss of resources like our trees, the human separation from the earth mother, global warming, and it is real, no matter what some of the deniers think. But today we see this perhaps more than ever. All of these things happening. When will it stop? When will we learn to value ourselves? Because we can never be valuable, as, as valuable as possible, until we value somebody else, until we value the planet, until we value what isn't just temporary in this world existence. But one of the issues that's most overlooked is the role that religion played in supporting all the greedy, clamoring for temporary things. Just look at the cost of the huge temples, cathedrals, mega churches of today. Just look at all the gold held in the Vatican, and we don't really know for sure just how much is there, but we've all seen huge amounts of it. Just look at the huge mansions that preachers are living in today, the pizza barons are living in today, and so many others. Just like the heads of greedy corporations, they're all building themselves more and more, bigger, bigger, bigger houses. How many corporate heads have more than one home or two or three how many have eight or ten? And yes, there are those, several, that have many homes around the planet. And why? They're going to leave every one of them behind. And then what? Oh, enjoy it for a few years, and then the end is coming. My friends, we can invest our lives in a much more beautiful way than in things. We can invest our lives in knowing who we are, the beauty of who we are, the power in being a loving individual, the power of being one who cares instead of one who hates. Had the Christian church truly followed and practiced the teachings of Yeshua, our world today would be absolutely, completely different in every way. Name one religion, for example, that isn't known for its history of slaughtering those who they conveniently labeled as heretics. It's still happening today. When religious people allow their hatred of those who are different than themselves to get out of control, all they want to do is kill the ones that they deem are not as good as they. I have a bumper sticker on my car. And it says, the last time we mixed religion and politics, people got burned at the stake. And how sad it is. How very, very sad. If the church had followed Yeshua's teachings... We would not have murder and war and hunger and homelessness and illness and pedophiles and homophobes and misogynists and racists and hatred and pollution and capitalism and everything else that has harmed humanity would never have existed had the church practiced peacemaking, cooperation, community, loving all others, healing, nurturing, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, caring for the elderly, and so much more. No one would be without what they need had the church followed Yeshua's teaching. No one would be alone had only the church followed him and instead of their fears and their lies. I'll be right back with you after this break. Jim Stacy's first book, Jesus Was Not a Christian, is available on Amazon.com. Discover what the church has been hiding for over 1,700 years. Find out why people carry the wounds of guilt and shame instead of the power of loving and being loved. Discover that you are part of the divine. Learn about the kingdom of heaven within you and find out why history has been twisted by those who slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent people. See why the real Jesus never said the words hell or sin. Jesus Was Not a Christian, available right now on Amazon.com. Jim Stacy is the author of 11 books, including his first title, Jesus Was Not a Christian, Healing the Shame and Fear from Man-Made Theology. That book is available on Amazon. The other 10 books, which are titled A Healing Spiritual Journey, are available as downloads on thedivineiswithinus.com. When you visit that site, you may also download his CDs and articles, and you can also find out more about where Jim will be speaking, spiritual retreats, and vision quests. 
Visit www.thedivineiswithinus.com today. You are listening to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to thedivineiswithinus at gmail.com. Again, that's thedivineiswithinus at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Here again is Jim Stacy. So we've been talking about the beauty of the Aramaic, and we've been talking about a religion that has not followed what Yeshua taught. How could that be? I know the history of that. I know it very, very well. I know what they changed, how they changed it, who they who changed it, when they did it. I know the history of the church. The church that said, we will be in control of other people. We will dominate. We will collect the offerings. We will use fear to make sure we control them. And so the church took that route. Started in 325 with the... Uh, inception of the church at Rome, which became known as the Roman Catholic Church. And I want to say the Roman Catholic Church is a disastrous failure. And the Protestant Reformation that followed it has also been a disastrous failure when it comes to practicing what Yeshua taught. Oh, they call him Lord, but they don't do diddly squat about what he said. Oh, yes, it's good to pretend, but how about the practice? No, it's not happening very often. Not nearly as often as it should or could. Oh, yes, there are the individuals out there, and once in a while you find a, a church or two that's doing a whole lot more than the others. And I salute them. I salute them with a, an enthusiastic salute. Thank you for doing that. And yet there's more. There's more to overcome. When the church exchanged Yeshua for their self-righteousness, for hate and dogma and fear and the control of the people, the church then gave birth to a holier-than-thou thinking, and the extremists of today are the result. And all the negative energies that one can list, what we've already listed, is that they claim to be what they are not. They claim to be the best of all. But, I'm sorry, look at the, at the fruit. By their fruits you shall know them. Look at the county clerk in Kentucky. <laughs> I won't even mention the name. It's so disgusting. Out of self-righteousness and, and self-holiness and all that stuff, condemns and refuses to serve others. Well, that story's not over yet. But it is an image. It is an insight into so much of the Christian church today. I've seen it. I've experienced it, I've been wounded by the energies of it, and I'm here today because I've healed it all, and I'm working on it. And I want you to know there's hope. There is hope, always. We are not who we are today. We are who we are becoming, and who we will be tomorrow and the years to come. So my question for all of us, I have a lot of questions, uh, Sometimes I think I ask too many questions. Anyway, when will we live in peace? What is peace? Is peace a cold war? Is peace the fear that we experience because both sides have weapons aimed at each other? No, that's not peace. The United States of America has been at war in some form or another for over 220 years of its 239 years of existence. What a shame. Are we that afraid? Yes, we are. America has bombed more countries than any other country in the world, yet we get all upset when somebody else starts a a skirmish somewhere. No, America, United States of America, or disunited States of America, we need to wake up. We need to grow beyond this. And the only way we can do it is when we acknowledge that other people are just as valuable as we are. When others are afraid of us, is that when we live in peace? Or when others trust us in every way, is that how we can live in peace? Yes. When we trust each other, when we know we're not alone, when we know 
that we don't have to worry about anything about tomorrow. What a, what a, a wonderful society that would be. And yet, we have to work on it. We have to become that, I believe. What else can we be? Are we going to fight and compete until we're all dead in the grave? Or are we going to put together a society? Are we going to live in a society where others' needs are just as important as our own? Are we going to be able to create a world energy where everyone wins? What kind of a world would that be? If you win, does that mean somebody else has to lose? Well, in the sports world, yes, it does. But no, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to win anything. We just need to be and bring others along with us. Let's win together. Let's not be competitive anymore. That's hard to do, but we must live in a world where no one loses. Oh, there's a beautiful commercial on television. I saw it just a couple times. Just last week, I saw it again, where these physically challenged, mentally challenged, handicapped, whatever we call them, kids were running a race. And they were running and running. Not very fast, but they were running. And one of the kids fell down. It was the most beautiful thing. It brought tears to my eyes. When all the kids stopped, turned around, went back, picked up the kid that had fallen, and together they ran together and walked together and stumbled together across the finish line. There were no losers in that race. (laughs) Everyone was a winner. So how do we create a world where everyone wins? My friends, it starts with me. It starts with you personally. As we look ourselves in the mirror, we have to say, what am I living for? I don't want to live in fear, and I don't want anybody else to live in fear either. I don't want to live in hunger or sickness or pain, and I'm going to do all I can to make sure that no one else that I know is is living in hunger and sickness and pain. There's nothing I've enjoyed doing more than to take food down the road to somebody. In fact, there's a young man and his wife and three little girls living with their mother and grandmother have had very difficult times. My friends, there's nothing more beautiful than for me than to walk away from having left food on the porch for them, having left something that encourages them to be. For we will never find our me until we find the beauty of we. There's so much more I can say. I'll continue this uh, more in, in two weeks from now as we talk about how we find the me in the we. This is Jim Stacy. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into the program today. Please join Jim Stacy for another edition of Beyond Religion. Your life is waiting next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This week, let the divine work for you and with you. You're bound to experience a new life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.